Hey everyone, welcome to the Tusok Tusok Filipino Food Podcast, where we find out how food figures into everything in our lives. Here in this podcast, we will deal you some interesting facts about the history and culture behind our food to start a more conscious discussion of our cuisine. I'm Pat. And I'm Matthew, the host of this show. And Pat, since this is our first episode, we'll give our listeners a bit of context. Tusok Tusok is comprised of a bunch of college kids who just really like food. And we wanted to do something that expresses our love for it and the people behind it. If you're listening to this on Spotify, then good, because you'll get to hear our amazing mics and voices. But if you're listening to this on Facebook, then hello, you can see what we look like. Yeah, the people watching this video will look at my camera and see my amazing potato webcam. So if you guys listening are curious, then please check out our socials at Tusok Tusok Podcast on Facebook and at Tusok Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. So we post the videos a week after our podcast is up. So you guys are missing out on a lot if you don't follow us there. Anyways, uh, in today's episode of Tusok Tusok, we're going to talk about the most iconic morning beverage around, coffee. Okay, so Matthew, I don't know about you, but I think in almost every barcada, there's always that funny clown, the chismosa, there's that mom friend, the friend who's always absent or at least like three hours late, and of course, that friend who's addicted to coffee. And if you don't know who that is in your friend group, maybe it's you. And I know I'm not the coffee friend here because, Matthew, I actually invited some of my coffee friends over to talk to us later in this podcast. In fact, they made their whole college thesis about coffee. So that's really interesting. So everyone stay tuned later for our conversation with the students who made Amihan Coffee, a business that makes brewing coffee less fussy. But for now, we'll tell you a little story. The story of Philippine coffee. Okay, so the arrival of coffee in the Philippines during the 1700s is lovingly described by the Philippine Coffee Board as a blending of myth and historical facts. And there's little historical documentation of the origins of coffee in the Philippines, so there were a lot of good guesses about where it came from or when it arrived. One myth states that frigantas, or around 2 kilos of Arabica beans, were brought into the country by a Franciscan monk. When the coffee tree successfully grew in his garden, they were transplanted to other areas in Luzon. And then another theory for the arrival of coffee beans features the Arabica beans. And as you can tell from the name, um, people said that they were first brought by Arab traders or Muslim settlers during their trade routes or pilgrimages. Other sources further point out that coffee was first introduced in the Philippines in 1740, where the first seeds were planted in Nipa, Batangas. But these are just one of the few theories that we found on the origins of coffee in the Philippines. We're not really experts, you know, we're just college students, so we don't really know which one could be closest to the truth. Well, regardless naman of how coffee actually arrived in the country, it was apparent that the coffee bean was here to stay. Apparently, coffee plantations flourished under Spanish colonial rule as Augustinian friars encouraged the propagation of the coffee plants around the country. 
and after 140 years from its first arrival, the Philippines became the fourth largest coffee exporter in the world, joining the ranks of Brazil, Africa, and Java. Coffee beans from the Philippines were being exported as far as the Americas and to our nearby neighbor, Australia. And with the Suez Canal being an available trade route, a new market was found in Europe as well. If Taylor Swift was born in 1989, the coffee industry took off in 1889, when Lipa took advantage of the steep coffee prices and scarcity from large exporters, when their coffee production was decreased by coffee rust, a kind of disease that makes plants unable to produce fruit. Now keep this in mind because this villain will pop up again in our story later. You know, that's a really big chunk of history. But Matthew, I think it's also important to set a context for this era so people can picture it well. This boom in the Philippine coffee industry happened at a time when the Philippines was still under Spanish rule. It happened in the late 1800s, remember? So at that time, vast haciendas owned by rich Spanish nobles and Filipino Chinese mestizos were actually planting different crops for easier and faster profit. These crops were usually sugarcane, tobacco, and corn. And around that time too, Jose Rizal was alive. He was studying and traveling around the world until he came home by the early 1890s. I wonder, you know, if he was a big fan of Philippine coffee. Because according to the foods of Jose Rizal written by Feliz Prudente Santa Maria, when Rizal was still a student, in Madrid, adjusting to the steeper cost of living there, his allowance was actually depleted on three things. These were laundry, chocolate, and coffee. So if he was a millennial or a Gen Z kid, maybe he'd be the type to write and work in Starbucks with cold brew in hand. Like, who knows? <laughs> you know, there was a plot twist, however, to the Philippines' global success. In 1891, the coffee's, uh, the country's coffee industry was hit hard by pest infestations and the return of coffee rust, the same disease that affected their competitors. The complications with these crops resulted to the country's harvest being one-sixth of what it used to produce. And to add to that, it's just really hard and tedious to grow coffee. Pat, did you know that it takes three to four years for a tree to even bear fruit? That's like enough time to get a college degree. That's a really long time. Exactly, exactly. And you have to think then about the quality of the fruit to get good beans. So in order to survive the sudden complications with the coffee harvest, most farmers traded in their coffee plantations for crops that grew much faster, like sugarcane, abaca, and corn, like what you mentioned earlier. So it all comes full circle like that. And you know, coincidentally too, Jose Rizal had some experience in that. I know it's pretty shocking, but yeah, he was into farming too at one point. Because according to Santa Maria's book that I also mentioned earlier, it said that when he came back to the Philippines in the 1890s and he was exiled in Dapitan, he bought some farmland in Talisay. Of course, I guess when one is exiled, one finds ways to stay productive. So at one point, he was able to buy enough land with a river beside it and grew some of the crops we mentioned earlier. It came with around 6,000 abaca plants and a section that could even grow corn. Decades into the future, the coffee industry was revived in the 1950s when the Americans brought a bit more varieties of coffee that, you know, were more resistant to infections. 
and this encouraged people to once again invest in the coffee production in the Philippines. According to Project Sarai and a column by journalist Rina Jimenez-David, the Philippines was home to 176,000 coffee farms with a total of 79.4 million coffee trees planted all over the country in 2002. You see, varying climates and soil of different areas in the Philippines is actually suitable for the four varieties of commercial coffee, namely Arabica, Liberica, Excelsa, and Robusta. In 2014, Robusta was the most produced coffee, and ito yung matapang na kape na ginagamit sa mga 3-in-1. And Robusta coffee too is well known for its strong and bitter taste. That's why it's used in those 3-in-1s that you mentioned earlier. The flavor profile of the bean allows it to even taste similar to chocolate sometimes. And if you guys are familiar with the civet poop coffee, Robusta beans are used for that too. So despite the revival of the coffee industry in the country, the current production is still a really far cry from the country's yield and popularity during the late 1800s. You know, we talked about the coffee's past, and so now let's maybe move on to its present and possible future. But before that, let's head on over to our first Sherkolang segment. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, for those who don't know, the Sherkolang segment is a little break that we have in the middle of our episode, where Pat and I, along with our writers, share some insights on the topic for the episode. Let's get right to it. So Matthew, we finished classes a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reminiscing a lot and, you know, I really missed and I really craved last week for some Toron from the second floor of Gonzaga Hall. Like, you know that one, right? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. You know, Matthew, that Toron, to me, was my pantawid gutom for those one-and-a-half-hour classes or worse, the three-hour classes. I just excuse myself by that Toron and just be back at the classroom in like 10 minutes or something. And for the people unfamiliar with this concept of pantawid gutom, to Filipinos, the phrase often refers to an easily preparable, consumable, and affordable snack that can help achieve a momentary alleviation of hunger, in fancier words. With that, we often call the small snacks in between meals as pampalipas ng gutom. And for the times when we skip over a meal, we call this nalipasan ng gutom. And it's interesting because these two phrases are quite different. When you say pampalipas ng gutom, you're referring to an object, like a food, that can help you tide over that hunger. But when you say nalipasan ng gutom, it literally means that the hunger has already passed. So in context, you usually mean that despite not eating, you've gotten over the hungry feeling. You know, in, in that case, then what's the relationship between food and the hunger in our culture? Because when we say pampalipas ng gutom, there's an implication that there are moments that people aren't unable to eat at proper times. Yeah, for many Filipinos, that could mean working so much that you don't notice that you skip meals or you don't have time to eat, to sit down and eat those meals at all. And I think that's why a lot of food that we consider as pampalipas ng gutom are food that's convenient to us on the go all the time. 
And that says a lot about our culture, actually, because we usually find these kinds of food in large centers of activity. You'll always find food that's quick to eat where the working people are. Take, for example, the hot bowls of pares or goto that we usually find near jeepney stops. There are also street vendors there who sell kikyam, fishball, and kwekwek. And I will never forget, Pat, the food stalls in the MRT and RRT stations that sell quick bites such as shawmai, drinks like gulaman, and even shawarma. Uh, there was this one time I was in a hurry in the LRT station, so I went to this one stall, bought food, ate while walking, and made it in time for my train to arrive, all in under three minutes. It's really interesting to see how we've managed to schedule our eating habits around our work hours, and the quick and easily prepared food we've created to adapt these habits, you know. Tala, share ko lang. Before we get to the episode, a quick word from our sponsor. The Mamacita Foundation's Heirloom Grains Project promotes the centuries-old traditions of farming the many different varieties of heirloom rice in the Cordillera region. The heirloom rice champarado is an opportunity for everyone to have a taste of tradition while supporting the communities who harvest the grains. The heirloom rice champarado is available in Ominio, Minagan, Kalingajekot, and Balatinao variants. You can purchase these online in Lazada, Shopee, the Mamacitas website, on Viber, and on the Mamacitas Recipes Facebook page. Like the Mamacita Foundation's Facebook page for more information on other advocacies that bring the best of the Philippines' culinary heritage to the world. So we've talked about the many origins of coffee in the Philippines, the industry's rise and fall, and now that the coffee's popularity has resurged, could this year be possibly the redemption arc in the history of Philippine coffee? So in the next segment of our coffee story, we'll be talking about the various ways the Philippine Coffee Advancement and Farm Enterprise, also known as Philcafe, is improving coffee production in the country. And what some young coffee lovers, like the friends I was mentioning to you earlier, are doing to help the farmers in their own way. Okay, so the country continues to produce the four popular types of coffee in the world. Like you said, Arabica, Liberica, Excelsa, and Robusta. But we're far from producing the same amount of coffee as leading coffee-producing countries, despite our ideal climate. You know, there are a number of things in the way of our redemption arc. According to the Department of Agriculture, the deficit in coffee production is due to multiple factors. Uh, mainly the increase of number of growers shifting to other crops, the age of the farmers um, farming coffee, the land conversion to real estate and recreation areas, and of course, urbanization. But you know, despite yield and production of coffee dropping, the total consumption in reality is increasing in the country. There's a lot of people who still drink coffee every day. Given the stay-at-home circumstances of the lockdown, you know, we can only guess the amounts of instant coffee that people have stocked up on and consumed in the last year, especially with our online class setup. Yeah, definitely. Phil Cafe has taken action in the past in hopes of improving production in the country, such as engaging the coffee sector by launching a radio-based program called Kapitan sa Kababarangayan that has reached 7,800 farmers through radio stations and Facebook pages. 
But aside from that as well, they've worked with the U.S. Department of Agriculture as well as the Agricultural Cooperative Development International and Volunteers in Overseas Cooperative Assistance, that was a mouthful, to help farmers establish coffee tree nurseries that produced 500,000 coffee seedlings just last year. They have also worked with Landbank to improve access to finance and credit for our coffee farmers. But you know, these are just the first steps in helping our coffee farmers. Um, aside from that, further measures have to be taken in order to sustain this progress in the industry. As you can see, improving coffee production in the Philippines isn't just about coffee plants. It's also about improving the lives and empowering the farmers themselves. And not only is Phil Cafe doing this work, but there are also businesses who help farmers out of the love of coffee. You know, we have friends who worked on a thesis, like I mentioned, all about coffee production and what they're doing about it. My friends at Amihan Coffee gave us an inside perspective on their own thesis, and they told us what ethical coffee even means for us and the farmers that they work with. Hi, I'm Green. I'm the operations and CEO of Amihan. Hello, I'm Sophie, and I'm Amihan's marketing officer. Hi, guys. I'm Aubrey, and I'm the operations officer for Amihan. Hello, hello. I'm Molly, and I'm the sales head of Amihan. Amihan Coffee is focusing on making their coffee single origin, and that means that the entire product is grown and harvested only in one region. And lucky for Pat and I, they also want to make coffee less intimidating for noobs like us. So we listen to their story. So, first things first muna, I guess I want to ask, what motivated you guys, like your team, to focus your thesis on Philippine coffee? Personally, for, for me at least, we were asked to submit different farm proposals for our thesis. Each of us had to give like around two or three topics we could choose from. And for some reason, nagustuhan ng prof namin yung sa akin, yung coffee. Yung drip bags namin, kasi yun yung main, ano, main gist of yung thesis namin, is coffee drip bags. Um, it comes from the fact na the Philippines is a three-in-one coffee culture. And yung three-in-one coffee culture na to, we view it as Philippines could do better. <laughs> kind of thing. Kasi Philippines is one of the few countries that can produce all four varieties of coffee. Pero, but but sa atin, yung coffee culture natin, three-in-one lang. Or if not three-in-one, yung second wave, like Starbucks. Parang sayang naman yung four varieties natin. Tayo na nga lang few countries in the world na kaya mag-produce. So, what if we bridge yung instant coffee culture of the Philippines sa growing specialty coffee culture and worldwide. Ayun nga, Philippine coffee is really good. And I think people fail to appreciate Philippine coffee because of how, I don't know, it's just underappreciated in our market. May mga other origins tayo actually. And farmers na we don't see and they actually produce the quality coffee. And I was really proud of that our thesis is not something that I'm not, uh, that I'm ashamed of. I'm really proud of it. Like, our coffee is really good. And our idea is really, like, I'd say it's really good also. We're just banking on something good. And it's local. 
according to what you guys have done and researched, what is ethical coffee? And because it, it's really like a buzzword nowadays, but para para sa inyo ano yung definition niya? The way we sourced our coffee was uh, we chose uh, direct to farm. Um, the reason for that is transparency and traceability. Being a charity doesn't mean ethical. Ka. Para for us, being ethical is in the transparency part talaga. There's a, parang you get a clear conscience, first of all, when you source your coffee from the farmer. Kasi you know na yung farmer na yun, pinaghirapan niya. Pinaghirapan niya yung kape. And hindi siya nagpa-pass through any middleman na papatungan pa siya ng presyo. Pero when you get it from the farmer, you get a sense of his hard work talaga. But one thing we don't do is yung bargaining sa farmer. Kasi chances are, when the farmer perceives his coffee as less of less value, but the hard work he puts into it is not as detailed and para precise as much as a farmer who knows his coffee get parang fetches a better price. Yeah, sobrang interesting so, nun yeah. how <laughs> yeah, sobrang interesting nun how um you know I think what people usually think kasi about like what ethical means is always parang in a kind of like a financial sense ganun. but like as you say nga um simply put it's also getting to know like the coffee and the beans like more thoroughly more intimately and also it's acknowledging also that there's like artistry and there's care into it like what you said parang kailangan um they need to pick the beans at the right time you can't just like um go ahead and pick everything cuz you know coffee takes time yung farmer kasi hindi niya kailangan ng pera mo from charity na ibibigay ko sa iyo to kasi farmer ka na awa ako sa iyo hindi ganoon eh that's ve- that's a very wrong mentality yung farmer is here to showcase his work to you parang it's better isn't it better to think of them as parang artists that curate, curate their art kaysa sa commodity na so parang okay convenient na mura kukunin ko na yan Like, what do the coffee farmers say mismo about this whole thing? May perception kasi na, actually, especially from our thesis, na nagihirap si farmer. Pero there's this ade, certain notion of othering. Eh. Parang tinitreat mo sila as others. Eh. So, parang to build with that lang. Yung pag-communication, yung pag-communicate namin sa farm is actually to Facebook lang. Because of the pandemic, Nakakatuwa makita na gumawa na sila ng Facebook accounts nila. Tapos parang everyday they post their things, nag-selfie sila. You get a sense na tao rin to. Tao rin tong, tong kinukuwaran namin. May buhay rin siya. And when you taste something na that came from a far place like Mount Apo, parang, uy, ang ganda ng kwento. There's a story rin behind every cup. Philippine coffee has come a really long way before it became what it is now um it went through a lot of ups and downs and um right now i think we're on the uptrend so where do you hope the future of coffee leads to more appreciation for our real like local coffee uh more appreciation for single origin coffee aka what we also really offer and amihan and what you know other coffee companies offer uh revolutionizing <laughs> the way people drink coffee so say goodbye to instant coffee philippines that's my personal goal i think for me 
after going through thesis and you know having to research about coffee in the Philippines, I think my personal hope for the future of Philippine coffee is that it's not just appreciation and awareness, but it's also the knowledge of it as well. Because from what we learned from Crane also is that it's not focused on, you know, the second wave coffee, but it's really focusing on the the local coffee, like what Aubrey said, and the specialty coffee that we have to offer. It's after having experienced specialty coffee and knowing about the different things that go with it. It's like there's a lot that you can appreciate about the Philippines as well. I think the first step talaga, towards that direction is know where your coffee is coming from. Just knowing where your coffee comes from. Just knowing that there's a story behind it. Filipino mentality. The least that Aniel could offer is a new perspective. Uh, that's a starting point. And because we are, we are the ones who are bridging instant coffee and specialty coffee, we hope that someday you go beyond the behind. You go beyond just drip bags. Go explore everything else na Philippine coffee-related. Ang ganda pakinggan na the story is ongoing. And it's, it's very parang clear conscious mo sa products that you consume. That's what I hope na for the future na everyone sa Philippines will lead up to. Step by step towards the right direction. Parang, I dare to say the better direction. Based from all the cupping tests um, and the research, I learned to appreciate more its complexity and intrinsic um, process, um, taste notes, and stuff like that. So initially, I didn't really appreciate, I guess, the whole experience. What Amihan offers is the coffee experience. Being able to see the different coffees that the Philippines has to offer compared to it being actually competitively good as compared to those abroad. Based from what everyone said, it's really good for us to share also this type of experience to others. May it be first uh, first wave drinkers, second wave, or third wave. We just hope that um, in the Philippines, we learn to appreciate more what we have and know that it's actually on the same level as um, international coffee. Um, <laughs> Tamasi Sophie when she says na ganda who they're not really coffee drinkers are here in this call. I am one of them. <laughs> but after listening, <laughs> after listening to your answers, some more questions na, I mean, you guys really sound like I know. You guys really put a lot of time and effort into the thesis, and hopefully, the like you guys are pushing it outside of thesis. Hopefully, you guys um also help out. In the in the wave of goddess, the wave of people who want coffee for the better in the Philippines. We talked about the rise of coffee in the 1800s, the crop diseases that almost brought its production to a halt, and it's come back with the introduction of a variety of beans to the country. There have been efforts made by Phil Cafe to improve the coffee production in the country by way of educating farmers and financing farms. 
And it's nice to know that there's a promising future out there for coffee. You know, Amihan and for sure so many other coffee businesses out there have this passion for making quality coffee that's ethical and sustainable for us and the farmers in the long run. And I hope we can all support these kinds of businesses. Well, that's it for episode one of Tusok Tusok. I hope you guys learned a thing or two about the rich history of coffee in the Philippines. And we hope that maybe listening to this episode made you crave a cup of freshly brewed coffee. The ethical kind, of course. Yep. Okay. So thank you for listening, guys. This is Pat. And this is Matthew. We'll see you next time. This episode of Tusok Tusok was produced by Patricia Veloria and Matthew Yuching. Script written by Iana Padilla, researched by Jordan Fable, and edited by Patricia Veloria. Music was composed by Raleigh Garte, sound editing by Matthew Yuching, and the posters and graphic design was made by Genesis and Galilita. Don't forget to follow our socials at Tusok Tusok Podcast on Facebook, at Tusok Podcast on Instagram, and on Twitter. We'll be posting our episodes every week for Season 1. Episode 2 of Tusok Tusok will be on July 11, 2021, so stay tuned.